Hi, you're listening to the Dietitian Cafe, brought to you by New Ultra, where we discuss the world of nutrition and dietetics. My name's Harriet Smith. I'm a registered dietitian and founder of HRS Communications. For today's big dietetic debate, I'm really excited to be joined by two expert guests as we discuss the question, is there a role for ketogenic diets in a clinical setting? Both guests work within the field of ketogenic diets, as you might have guessed. One is a senior research fellow and specialist pediatric dietitian at UCL Great Ormond Street Institute of Child Health and Great Ormond Street Hospital for Children, and the other as an advanced clinical practitioner leading the ketogenic diet service at Royal Manchester Children's Hospital. In today's episode, we'll start by recapping what exactly a ketogenic diet is before moving on to discuss the use of this diet in a variety of clinical scenarios. We'll also cover some of the guidelines and evidence that are in this field. So without further ado, welcome to the Dietitian Cafe, Natasha and Victoria. It's great to have you both here. I'm going to hand over to you both to share a little bit more about your background. So Natasha, I'm going to hand over to you first. Thanks very much, Harriet. Yeah, as Harriet mentioned, I'm a senior research fellow at UCL Great Ormond Street Institute of Child Health and a specialist paediatric dietitian at Great Ormond Street Hospital for Children, specialising in the area of ketogenic diets, mostly for neurological neurological disorders. And over the years, I've worked in a variety of research trials, including genetic laboratory and bioinformatics work, clinical trials, meta-analysis and more recently qualitative research all in the area of ketogenic diets. I completed my PhD on genetic predictive response to ketogenic diets um, back in 2014 and I'm the founder and chair of the Ketogenic Dietitians Research Network. Brilliant, thank you so much Natasha and Vicky over to you. Uh, hello, um, my name is Vicky Whiteley. So um, I'm a dietitian working in an advanced clinical practitioner role, leading the ketogenic diet service at Royal Manchester Children's Hospital. Um, I set up the service here um, 11 years ago with the support of Daisy Garland Charity and their funding. Um, and we are now one of the biggest services in the UK, supporting 85 children and young people with drug resistant epilepsy and neurometabolic conditions on the ketogenic diet. Um, and in addition to my clinical and leadership role. I'm also involved in research. So I'm currently um, completing a pre-doctoral fellowship with NIHR um, and I work as co-chair alongside Natasha um, within the Ketogenic Dietitians Research Network. Um, I'm also um, on the medical board of GLUT1 UK um, and a trustee for the Daisy Garland charity as well. Brilliant. Well, we've got really excellent guests with us today. So thank you again for joining us. Now, Natasha and Vicky, as you may know, before we get stuck into the nitty gritty of today's episode, we always like to ask our guests a few quick fire questions so that we can get to know you on a bit more of a personal level. So Natasha, I'm going to come to you first and start things off by asking, what are you currently reading? I'm ashamed to admit that I'm not actually reading any book at the moment, but I do try to log on to the BBC website to keep myself up to date. So I'm going to say that is what I'm currently reading. I'm sure you're quite short of time as well. So, I mean, that that is very understandable. And Vicky, how about you? Do you have any favourite books? Um, so at the moment, I'm reading The Song of Achilles um, by uh, Madeline Miller. So um, a look into Greek mythology. Very interesting. Um and following on from that, Vicky, uh, obviously reading is a form of self-care, but what's your favourite form of um, self-care and relaxation? 
Um, so it is quite tricky with a busy work, uh, research and family life. Um, but I do try to practice yoga every week and also do like a bit of crafting as well. Lovely. And Natasha, how about yourself? Are you also a yoga fan or a crafter? Uh, not really. I like to bake cakes. Yeah, which are not ketogenic related cakes, just normal, regular cakes. Wouldn't be a dietitian without a love of baking, I feel. <laughs> of course. And finally, um, Natasha, which day of the week do you look forward to most and why? <laughs> uh, it depends on the week, but I say generally a Thursday. Usually of late, I have quite a long clinical day on a Thursday, but then it's Friday Eve, right? So that, that's what I look forward to. PGIF, beginning of the weekend. Yeah. And how about you, Victoria? Um, this is quite a tricky one because I would have said Sundays because they were nice and relaxed until my daughter decided to join a football team. And now I have to stand outside in the cold for 60 minutes every Sunday morning. But I'll go with Sunday just because we always have a really lovely cooked meal um, and maybe indulge a little bit more on a Sunday. So. Lovely. Nice way to round off a busy week, I'm sure. So we're going to delve straight into our topics for discussion, all about ketogenic diets. And to kick off today's episode, it would be really interesting to have a, a brief overview of your current roles in the area of ketogenic diets. So Natasha, let's begin with you first. Can you tell us a bit more about your role at um, Great Ormond Street and what exactly does that entail? So I'll go into a bit more detail, I think, about the re my research dietitian role, because this is slightly different to what Vicky's going to elaborate on um, shortly, I believe. So what I get up to on a day-to-day -day basis sort of depends on what stage the research projects I'm working on are at. So if we're at the very beginning, then I might be engaging with patients and families, for example, doing some interviews or, or focus groups to try and set research priorities in the area of ketogenic diets. Uh, if moving a little bit further along, I might be just at the desk on the computer writing protocols, submitting grant applications for a particular study. If we're in the middle of a clinical trial, then I might be seeing patients, for example, seeing how they get on with the, with the diet or particular supplement, if that's what the particular study is about, or looking at data, if it's a data-driven study. Or towards the end, doing analysis of the data. Or and right at the end, presenting the results uh, at conferences and writing up for for publication. And I do have also a clinical role, but that will be at least part of what Vicky does. So I'll pass on to Vicky to to describe the the clinical dietitian role. Great, Vicky, over to you. Um, so I am predominantly clinical, um, and. Um, my days tend to be quite varied. So although we have uh, set clinics, which are both dietetic led or ACP led or MDT clinics, a lot of the work around that is quite ad hoc. So it might be contacting families to support them um, when they contact us via calls or emails um, about advice and support for the ketogenic diet at school or a birthday party to go on holiday or, or if, if the child is unwell. 
or needs some additional support. Um, and as a team here in Manchester, we start around five or six patients on the ketogenic diet each month. And for each patient, we need to develop a plan, um, look at recipes, um, provide education sessions for family, school, respite, um, staff that may be supporting them. Um, so that can take up a lot of time. And then we also have patients that are unwell and they may be unwell in the hospital with seizures and we're starting the ketogenic diet while they're here um, on intensive care. Or it may be that they've come in with recently flu or COVID and we need to support them with the ketogenic diet while they're here in hospital but also in district general hospitals so in um, hospitals around the the region or even country to make sure that their ketogenic diet is maintained um, but in, in my role particular as well I'm, I'm doing the research side of things but I do a lot of education um, and update sessions for those hospitals but also for consultants and um, paediatricians and neurologists around around the country um, and and locally around ketogenic diet and patient selection as well. Yeah it sounds like a very varied role for the two of you and do you know roughly how many ketogenic dietitians there are in the UK? Is it quite a small subset? Natasha? Shall I go? So there's round about 30 something centres in the UK, some of which are just single, just have one dietitian and others have up, up to four, something like that. So it's compared to other specialities, it's certainly very small, but we are an expanding speciality, especially over the last 20 years or so, which I think Vicky will go into more detail about later, actually. Yeah, we'll come um, back and just to, to add, oh, sorry, I was just going to add that um, ketogenic diet centres are only in tertiary paediatric centres. So you wouldn't get a ketogenic dietitian in a district general, for example, they would predominantly sit um, in a tertiary neurology centre. Um, so that's, again, why sometimes it's limited the amount of services that are available. Interesting. And like I said, we'll delve into that in a bit more detail later on in the episode. So just to set the scene for people who are listening, who are perhaps not so familiar with this specialty, Natasha, can you give us a bit of background to what exactly a ketogenic diet is? Yeah, of course. So ketogenic diets, actually, I tend to refer to them in the plural, is an umbrella term for a group of diets that are very high in fat and low in carbohydrate and generally adequate in protein. And the aim of the, the diet is to mimic the state of starvation on the body. So the main fuel that the body uses for energy changes from glucose to ketones via metabolism of fatty acids. Okay, that's really interesting. And um, Vicky, you mentioned that you're putting about five to six patients a month onto a ketogenic diet. So can you talk us through that process of actually putting a patient onto this specific diet? Is it a standardized process for, for all patients or is it very bespoke? Um, so I think the patient pathway, as we've looked at through the um, through the country recently, is there's like a, there is a, a fairly common pathway, uh, but each dietary plan would be individualised. So often we would see patients for an initial assessment, and that's really to understand um, a little bit more about their background and past medical history, but also thinking about what their normal dietary intake is like so whether they're tube fed or orally fed what is their normal pattern of eating what are their likes and dislikes to really tailor the dietary plan to them so that compliance is as good as it can be we also need to be aware of any particular things that might um 
exacerbate symptoms like they might already have reflux or already you know they might have an allergy or something like that so we just need to be mindful of those things so once we've done that initial assessment and we often ask for sort of a detailed food diet with that we'll explain all about the ketogenic diet to the family and 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 really what that means to them day to day and the and the and the tasks that they're going to undertake and then sort of make a, a decision together about whether it's the right treatment option and then following that, we need to do sort of a medical baseline. So really, where are the seizures at the moment? Because this is a medical treatment and we're very clear with the families that, you know, this isn't a lifestyle choice. This is a medical treatment for your drug resistant epilepsy. So we need to get a baseline and we also do need to do some screening bloods to make sure that they haven't got any underlying metabolic conditions. That means that they can't um, safely use the ketogenic diet. And then once that's all in place and all completed, if everything is OK, then we will look to generally start the ketogenic diet as an outpatient over around seven to ten days and this involves sort of two to three sort of quite intensive education sessions with the family and we use a mix of face-to-face -face and virtual um, uh, sort of tools to do that um, and then um, prepare them with um, sort of information and, and tools and then they would start on the diet um, and we continue to support them from then on. So it sounds like a fascinating approach, um, medical approach, like you said, but I can imagine there are quite a lot of complexities and challenges that come alongside a ketogenic diet. So, um, Vicky, from your clinical experience, what are the, the main challenges that you tend to encounter when transitioning a patient into ketosis? Um, so I think... Often the, the diet requires fine tuning. So we um, as experienced dietitians would calculate um, a particular diet plan and there's different types of ketogenic diet. And, and obviously we use a starting point from our sort of like sort of our level of experience, almost an educated guess in, OK, this is a good plan to start with. But all dietary plans need some fine tuning um, to make sure that um, we achieve ketosis. So there are lots of different factors that can impact on ketone levels. So it could be potentially hidden carbohydrate, which you might find in some of the medications or um, sugar free drinks that they're having or, you know, some foods that they felt that were, you know, weren't going to impact on things. So um, so we need to look at that illness. So temperatures or, you know, any, anything like that can impact on ketosis um, constipation, which we see regularly with the ketogenic diet can really impact on ketosis. And we also really need to make sure that the calories are right. So if they're having too many calories or too little, they won't be in sufficient ketosis. So there's a lot of fine tuning at the beginning. And we do need to reassure families because sometimes that fine tuning can take a few weeks that you know we don't want to give up we want to continue and that's why we would always ask for sort of a three-month period and um, to trial the diet first but as well there are some physical side effects to transitioning on into ketosis and moving away from using glucose as the main source of energy um, we use a plan where we would gradually introduce the diet. So over, I said, about seven to 10 days. And this usually helps to manage those sort of adverse effects. So if we move into ketosis very rapidly, which I experienced because I didn't take my own advice, you can um, sort of get a dip in glucose levels because your, your metabolism is changing and it takes a while, I think, to, to catch up. You can also experience headaches, lethargy. Um, and we do have some children that get quite hyper as well. Um, so we counsel the families about this, but we do aim to transition onto the diets quite slowly so that we can hopefully avoid those and we also monitor ketone and glucose levels twice daily initially just to make sure that we're avoiding any potential adverse effects so interesting so it sounds like it's a very um 
multidisciplinary approach. And you mentioned earlier that families are very closely involved. So Natasha, I was wondering, is there a um, particular age that you tend to commence patients on a ketogenic diet or does it vary? It completely varies. So most of the settings in the NHS using ketogenic diet therapies for epilepsy are paediatric based and they take anyone from a little tiny weenie baby up to 16, 18, et cetera. And then there are some centers which also offer it for adults and you can also start it as an adult. So no, there is not a specific age which is necessarily best to start ketogenic diet therapy. However, many of the very severely drug-resistant epilepsy syndromes tend to be present very early on in life. So quite often it tends to be that the patients are younger rather than older when we start them. Okay, so that's interesting. So if they're younger, I presume the parents or carers, they play quite a pivotal role in commencing the diet. So are there any considerations, Natasha, when you're working with the families to commence the ketogenic diet that you have to take into account? There's a a whole myriad of considerations to, to take into account. So like Vicky said, before you even consider the starting a treatment, there's a long process of going counselling the families and making sure this is A, the right treatment for them to undertake and B, is it the right time to be doing it right now? The dietitian obviously plays a very crucial role in the nutritional considerations um, when planning the diet. There's also a lot of psychosocial considerations to to consider actually perhaps less so for the for infants for example that just have to to change their milk i say just it's still an undertaking but compared to oral oral feeders it's often less of an ordeal and the the dietitian and also the multidisciplinary teams often there's an epilepsy specialist nurse involved as well and um, the neurologist are all involved in in trying to prep and prepare the patient and or their families into how life might look when they're on a ketogenic diet. For example, for oral feeders, the portion sizes are a lot smaller when you're on a ketogenic diet compared to uh, your, your standard Western diet. So it's, it's about just making them aware of that, really. Even for infants, there are considerations if mum is breastfeeding, for example. There are various different approaches that can be taken with that. It doesn't have to be stopped, but it might have to be done in a particular, particular way, like expressed or offering the specialised ketogenic formula first, for example. That's very interesting. And I know you've um, researched this area quite heavily, Natasha. So um, we've talked a bit about um, drug resistant epilepsy, but can you talk to us in a bit more detail about the most common clinical use of a ketogenic diet? So at least in the UK, it's certainly for drug resistant epilepsy, specifically in children. So ketogenic diets are the treatment of choice for specific neurometabolic conditions, such as glucose transporter type 1 deficiency syndrome. And it is also an effective treatment option for generally children with drug-resistant epilepsy. And by that, I mean individuals who have tried at least two anti-seizure medicines but continue to have seizures. Um, There are specific epilepsy syndromes that are have been 
commonly associated with a favorable response to ketogenic diet therapies, such as infantile spasms, Dravé syndrome, for example. And so we would hope that the, the multidisciplinary team would perhaps consider ketogenic diet therapy earlier on in the course of their epilepsy. But that's not to say that ketogenic diets don't play a role in any drug-resistant epilepsy. It, of any age, actually, but specifically um, for children, which is where greatest evidence is available. Yes. And just expanding on that in a bit more detail, I know you've written a systematic review and meta-analysis on specifically the use of the ketogenic diet in um, children with epilepsy. So can you tell us a bit more, how long has this treatment been around for and kind of what, what led to researchers looking into this use of the diet? Yeah, so it's by no means a new treatment in any way, shape or form. Um, there are citations that date back to the Hippocrates era in the Gospels. So way back of patients with epilepsy, at least they were described as having seizures, fits, that when they stopped eating for whatever reason, let's say they were ill, then for some of them, their seizures stopped or at least decreased in frequency. But obviously starving yourself or your patient is not really um, the, the most feasible long-term treatment plan. And so it was in the 1920s that the team in the Mayo Clinic in the States came up with uh, the basis of the ketogenic diet that we know today, the classical format, the original form, which was a very high fat, low carbohydrate diet, which aimed to mimic the state of starvation on the body. And this was first reported as a treatment for epilepsy in 1920, early 1920s. Uh, the ketogenic diet or diets as a treatment for epilepsy fell a little bit out of favour in the 1930s, 1940s. There were more anti-epileptic, anti-seizure medicines that became available at that time. But it experienced somewhat of a comeback in the 1970s with different adaptations of the classical original ketogenic diet. And also in the 1990s, the, um, Jim Abrahams, who is an American film director, his son, Charlie, um, had a very successful story, was became seizure free with the ketogenic diet. And he publicized use of this dietary treatment and its potential success in, in epilepsy. And since then, the, the evidence has 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 been mounting. We, we now have randomized controlled trials showing the effectiveness of the diet in children and to a lesser extent in adults. And it, it continues on our clinical guidelines, but it's it, it's been a long time coming, if you see what I mean. Yeah, definitely. And yeah. you just um, mentioned towards the end that um, it's also used sometimes in adults. So Vicky, I just wanted to bring you in at this point to ask you, is the ketogenic diet as effective in adults with epilepsy? Um, so there's no evidence to say that the ketogenic diet is less effective in adults and, and we've supported patients certainly in our paediatric service that have turned 18 on the ketogenic diet and it hasn't suddenly stopped working or you know when they've remained responsive but the evidence base as uh, Natasha alluded to is much smaller and um, so it's not indicated in guidelines for management for example so like for nice guidelines just because the evidence base is small um, and um, sort of because of that, there's only three centres in the UK and, and transition is a bit of a hot topic at the moment. 
Um, and yeah, so I mean, we our experience of, of, of our own access to adult services is quite limited. Um, and we've had, um, I guess, positive and negative experiences of, of transitioning paediatric patients over to adult services and um, just around funding and, and being able to access those services, really, which is which is sad. Yeah, definitely. And especially if it's been working so effectively for them as, as a child. Um, can we just expand a bit on that transition from child to adult services? I imagine at that point, a um, young adult is being given more autonomy and managing the diet themselves. So um, question to both of you, um, what are some of the challenges in that transition from paediatric services to adult services for the patient themselves? Um, I mean, I guess from from my point of view, um, I've experienced transition for different types of patients as well. For epilepsy patients, just um, because of the nature of, of the patients referred, those transition to adults have been gastrostomy fed um, with significant um, developmental impairment, so have been um, completely um, supported by their parents. But Accessing funding, as I said, was very difficult. And actually, we have had CCGs request that we trial to wean the ketogenic diet um, for adult patients before they'll consider even funding um, a, a transition, uh, the transition of care over to another service. And actually, that led to a dramatic deterioration in seizure control for one for one child. Uh, well, so one young lady. Um, and actually, she remained with our service until she was 22 years of age, until eventually the, um, the funding was agreed. Um, which was quite a stressful period, you know, four years of um, trying to get that um, support there. But we also have um, young people um, on oral ketogenic diets. And um, actually, um, it's that transition because often they've been on the diet for many years of instead of the parents being in charge of the diet, it's a re-education um, to encourage the young person to take on board um, the information about the diet, to be motivated to continue um, to make compliance and, and to understand the rationale for why we continue in that. Um, and then also to counsel these families that adult services work very differently than paediatric services and that we will be very involved and, um, and, and, and very accessible. And actually that changes quite considerably. And that's not just in the dietetic side of things, also from a neurology or metabolic point of view as well and um, so it is a really tricky time and as I said it's a bit of a hot topic at the moment and I think we definitely need to to be working on how to do that better um, to support our to support our families and young people. Thank you Vicky. Natasha did you have anything to add to that? No. No I think Vicky's hit the nail on the head um, the, the first major stumbling block is is access um, once you get over that, then yes, there's a lot of counselling of patients and their their families around the differences in services, but access is the, is the key one at the moment. Great, thank you. So moving on to the NICE clinical guidelines on ketogenic diet services nationwide, which I believe you were both involved with. The results, I understand, found that over the last seven years, the number of patients treated with a ketogenic diet for epilepsy in the UK and Ireland increased by um, an astronomical amount with a 77% increase in the number of centres offering ketogenic diets. So, Vicky, what do you think is the reason behind this increase? So I think um, going back to what Natasha spoke about earlier, that obviously there was a bit of a resurgence um, sort of in the 90s of using um, the ketogenic diet. And that was in America. Um, and there's always a little bit of a time delay in how these things translate over um, over to us here. But what we identified in the in the in the research paper that we um, we published was that 
we felt that a lot of this was in relation to the change in NICE guidelines. So prior to 2012, ketogenic diet wasn't included in any recommendations, sort of national recommendations for managing seizures um, in children and young people. And then there was a change in that guideline um, in 2012, which suggested that um, if um, children and young people had failed to respond to at least two different anti-seizure medications that they should be considered for the ketogenic diet and that was huge um, huge because that was sort of telling every pediatrician and neurologist you need to be thinking about the ketogenic diet and you need to be referring and with that came a lot of funding for services because you could you, we had evidence to say that we needed to have ketogenic diet centers in each of the of the tertiary hospitals um, but in addition to that there's been a huge amount of promotion and support available from charities in the UK so the Daisy Garland and Matthew's Friends were both set up um, in 2004 I, I believe um, and they've been really instrumental in championing the use of the ketogenic diet. Both charities are run by parents of children that have been on the ketogenic diet and have had good effect um, and that really want they had to fight for that treatment for their children so didn't want other families to have to fight for that treatment so they've each sort of funded dietitians within the NHS to build services and to support families. They've provided education, again, for families, but also for health professionals, and really just given a sort of a plethora of support for introducing the ketogenic diet, um, which can be really challenging um, for, for families. Yeah, really interesting how that um, how the NICE guidelines have changed so much in the last few years. And Natasha, I think you alluded earlier to the fact that um, the ketogenic diet is sometimes used in other conditions as well as drug re resistant epilepsy. So just to clarify, do the NICE guidelines recommend the use of this diet in any other conditions outside of epilepsy? No, at the moment it's purely for children with drug resistant epilepsy and it's been updated um, last year as well. So quick answer, no. <laughs> um, but I do believe there's some quite interesting research emerging at the moment into the role of ketogenic diets in Alzheimer's disease. Is there any sufficient evidence to suggest that this might be a positive treatment in the future? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the ketogenic diets have are being investigated for a very wide range of conditions, both neurological and neurological. Um, and as you mentioned, Alzheimer's disease is one of those for which we have slightly more credible evidence than perhaps for other uh, conditions. So just a, as a bit of a background, the, the reason why people started looking into ketogenic diets for um, Alzheimer's disease was is based on the premise that one of the hallmarks of Alzheimer's is impaired glucose metabolism in the brain, which, of course, ketosis could, in theory, help to overcome. And also in there was there was, I think, two studies that showed a high glycemic index diet was associated with a higher cerebral amyloid burden in patients with Alzheimer's disease, and this has also been seen in healthy patients as well. And there's potentially a neuroprotective effect of ketogenic diets in that they decrease re production of reactive oxygen species, which may be beneficial for um, neurological, neurological disorders such as Alzheimer's. But and there now actually is some clinical evidence to suggest a benefit of ketogenic diets in individuals with Alzheimer's disease. There's actually a randomized controlled trial showing improved quality of life and activities in daily living. There was also a non-statistically non significant improvement in cognition. 
But this was for 12 weeks and it was in, so I think, 26, something like that, adults. So, you know, we're, we're in the preliminary stages, but it certainly seems positive. Aside from this, there's also case reports and single arm pilot studies, etc. But it's it, it's really promising that we're getting some promising evidence from high quality trial designs as well. Absolutely. So it sounds like it's a real kind of watch of space in the next few years. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Very exciting. And Vicky, um, is there any research to support the use of ketogenic diets in diabetes, both type one and type two? Um, so there's been a lot of chatter about the use of lower carbohydrate diets in the management of diabetes. And I think um, the British Diabetic Association are, are looking to support um, lower carbohydrate diets. But there is some um, evidence available as well, um, not a great deal, but of use of um, ketogenic diet in patients mainly with type 2. Um, and they, there's randomised controlled trials that have been conducted in, um, in patients who are overweight or obese with and without type 2 diabetes. Um, and the sort of results have shown that there's a, a greater weight reduction, a reduction in BMI, lower HbA1c's, improved lipid profiles. Um, and then, you know, and, and they've compared that to sort of people on non-ketogenic diets or on sort of low fat diets and seen that there are benefits there. But there's generally a lack of long-term study data. So we don't know if there's any long-term adverse effects of, of doing that and, and really around safety and, and long-term effectiveness. So I think there's definitely room for, you know, we do need to, to increase the research within that area um, just to make sure that it is done safely, particularly if insulin's involved and, and obviously we're promoting ketosis and, and obviously um, we want to be mindful that it's not diabetic ketoacidosis and, and things like that. So I think it definitely needs to be done with the support of healthcare professionals and, um, and there definitely needs to be a bit more um, sort of research but we know from you know there are case reports of children with type 1 diabetes and epilepsy which you know the conditions can co-occur and um, that are, are can be well managed on the ketogenic diet but it does require a lot of education and intensive support to, to maintain that so yeah um, another really exciting area of potential use of the ketogenic diet I think in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Um, really exciting opportunity for dietitians, it sounds like, in the years to come. And just finally, Natasha, um, where's the evidence at between the link with ketogenic diets and obesity? Do you have any information to share on this? There have actually been a fair number of studies looking at the role of ketogenic diets in obesity. Although I have to say, the variability between studies in the amount of carbohydrate that's given as part of these studies is, is fairly wide, so that has to be considered. But generally, there be there are meta-analyses of control studies looking at low-carb ketogenic diets compared to, for example, low-fat diets for obesity. And in general, they have been shown to be beneficial in that they're associated with weight loss and also favourable changes in cardiovascular parameters. However, as to whether they are more effective than other forms of calorie restriction, such as a low-fat diet, evidence is, is mixed. So studies, for example, with um, a one-year follow-up have shown slight, slightly better, so as in more weight loss in individuals who were on a ketogenic diet, but then again, there are some studies which have slightly longer term follow up, two years and so, which don't show any difference compared to low fat diets. So beneficial, but not necessarily any better than the other approaches that, that can be taken. 
Thank you. That's a very interesting area. And I think definitely something for us to keep an eye on. And perhaps in a few years time, we'll have you both back on the podcast to discuss the role of ketogenic diets in other areas. Who knows? So just in the interest of time, I want to move on to ask you, Natasha, about the Ketogenic Dietitians Research Network, which I believe you established in um, 2017. So can you tell us a bit about the reason behind setting up this network and what exactly is its role or objective? Of course. So the Ketogenic Dietitians Research Network is a group of clinical and academic dietitians and also other associated healthcare professionals, both in the UK, but also internationally. And we work together to try to foster and advocate dietetic-led research in ketogenic diets, primarily for neurological disorders, but we are expanding to other areas as well. Um, I set it up really because historically, ketogenic diet research has been very clinician-led. Um, of course, it needs the involvement of a dietitian, but it's only been in recent years that dietitians and indeed other allied health professionals have been playing more of an active role in research. So in the first instance, I, I wanted to unite us British ketogenic, well, UK ketogenic dietitians um, from various walks of life and see if we can help support each other, share findings, even introduced introduce dietitians who haven't previously had any role in research see if we can get get them yeah into into some study in a either small way or a, or a large way and now it's um it's going from strength to strength we've got something like 150 members i think and we have regular meetings both face-to-face and virtual now since covid and we're creating some um some really useful tools and got some really useful studies uh, underway. And can you tell us in a bit more detail? Um, you've kind of opened up a can of worms by saying that, but I'd love to hear <laughs> a bit more. <laughs> yeah, no, of course, of course. So we've got a fair few uh, things on the cards at the moment. Uh, wh- one thing that we always try to do to keep everything that we do very relevant to those who are working in clinical practice is updating and creating clinical resources that dietitians can use um, for for their patients and their families. But then we go a step further, more research-wise, for example, creating guidelines for use of ketogenic diets in critical care scenarios. That's something that a group of us are embarking on now. We're looking at the impact of the most recent updated NICE guidelines on KD service provision in the UK. So something that Vicky's leading on and actually another one that Vicky's leading on and working to establish the cost effectiveness of ketogenic diets for epilepsy. We are also setting up an international registry of patients who have been referred and also a proportion of them go on to start ketogenic diet therapy for epilepsy. That's a little snapshot. All exciting Excellent. stuff. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds fascinating. And how how can people join the network if they're interested? So if we are, first of all, I would direct them to our website, kdrn.co.uk, and there's a contact us form. Um, and then we we put you on our mailing list, basically. But it, it comes through to myself and Vicky is also on the committee. There's a, a nice group of us. And we assess the 
the eligibility, shall we say, of um, individuals who'd like to join the group. But in general, we're incredibly, incredibly welcoming. Uh, we also have a Twitter handle at KVRN Online, I believe, with, through which we publicise the work that we're doing, both individually and as a collective. That's the best way to, to take a look at what we're doing in the first instance. Brilliant. And we can definitely link to those in the show notes if anyone's interested. Um, So just as we come to the end of this really interesting episode, um, it wouldn't be the Dietitian Cafe without touching on the fact that ketogenic diets outside of the clinical setting have, of course, become incredibly popular, trendy in recent years. So, Vicky, I just wanted to ask you about using ketogenic diets when it's not done under clinical supervision. Um, as a specialised dietitian in this area, are there any concerns that you have around the safety of um, someone uh, implementing a ketogenic diet without the support of a dietitian? Um, so I think often in the mainstream, uh, there's a lot of diets that might be referred to as keto, but they're actually more of a low, lower carbohydrate diet and maybe not strict enough to promote ketosis. And, you know, we alluded to this with some of the research that, you know, the, the amount of carbohydrate is quite dramatic. Um, I mean, a ketogenic diet is extremely strict and extremely low in carbohydrate. And obviously there are some adverse effects associated with that. So particularly in children, you would want to make sure that they, you know, you wouldn't want someone to do that without medical supervision. And it would be a worry um, because when patients are under our care, we take blood and urine samples every three months to monitor for adverse effects um, within that first year. And then sort of if they continue on the diet, then we reduce that to six monthly. But we still do do those investigations. And even in adult services, they will do those same investigations, but maybe on an annual basis. And that's because when we're in ketosis and um, we're in a, a state of mild acidosis um, and the body needs to correct that. Um, so it will leach calcium from the bones to try and neutralize the acid, which is the ketone bodies that are in the blood. And that has implications for bone mineral density. Um, so, you know, we would be worried about bone health. Also, there's an increased risk of renal calculi. It is a small risk and we manage it. And that's why we do our tests. But that is there. Um, and we know that, you know, in adult males, the risk of renal calculi is high anyway. So, you know, you don't want to higher, sorry, not high. Um, so we wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't want to be doing that without sort of medical supervision also we monitor ketones closely to make sure that um that the patients that we see aren't in excess ketosis because that can make you feel quite unwell it's related um, you know it can lead to dehydration and, and other health problems but we can also see um, micronutrient deficiency um altered lipid profiles we don't know sort of long-term adverse effects of, of doing that and um, if there's other cardiovascular risk factors for example and um, so so yeah it, doing that sort of without sort of some support would be would be challenging and particularly if it was for a child yeah really interesting and you've highlighted i think the incredibly important role that dietitians play in supporting these patients in a clinical setting who have to follow a ketogenic diet for medical reasons so just to round up the episode, um, Natasha, I just want to come back to you and ask if anyone is listening who would like to perhaps learn more about this area of dietetics or potentially consider going into this area as a specialty, where would you direct them? Obviously, you've already talked us through the Ketogenic Dietitians Research Network, but are there any other organisations that you would pinpoint people towards? Yes, absolutely. As Vicky mentioned earlier, as a first 
easy approachable introduction to ketogenic diet therapies, I would certainly go to the Matthews Friends and Daisy Garland charity websites. They support both healthcare professionals and also patients and their families. So the information is, is very accessible. Yes, the KDRM website, of course, and people are welcome to get in touch with us if they have any specific questions about ketogenic diet and, and dietetics. Soon there will be an article on the BDA, so British Dietetics Association website on ketogenic diets. So hopefully that will be uh, a useful brief overview for individuals who, who want a little bit more information. And for those who have perhaps done all of that and they want to know a lot more, there is a whole chapter dedicated to it in the Clinical Pediatric Dietetics Handbook, which Vicky led on. So I, that's for, for if you really, really want to get into it, then I'd go to that. Brilliant. Plenty of bedtime reading, I think, for our listeners then. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm sure the two of you have really inspired people listening to the Dietitian Cafe. You've certainly inspired me. I'd like to thank you both, Natasha Shuler and Victoria Whiteley, for joining us today. Um, thank you so much as well to New Outra for making this podcast possible. If you enjoy listening to the Dietitian Cafe, please consider subscribing and leaving a review or five-star rating so that we can reach even more healthcare professionals. You can follow New Outra on social media at New Outra across all platforms to keep up to date with the podcast and to hear the latest updates on medical nutrition. Thank you for listening and our next episode will be out soon. Bye.